Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Mr. T. Wall, for the first time. Uh, children ages four through third grade, you are uh, ready to go back to the back there and you can follow your leaders to Children's Church. Um, the rest of us, let's pray one more time. Father God, we pray now in your spirit. Would you cause our hearts to be soft soil for your word today? It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, some of you might have heard of the uh, GTD method, getting things done. Um, it's by, there's a book uh, for this method by a guy named David Allen. Um, it's kind of like a workflow tool, if you want to put it that way, to be more effective with your time and eliminate clutter from your life. Um, and that way you can focus on your, what you really want to do. Um, and eliminate distractions and get more things done. And so what I want to do really quickly with you all is walk through the GTD method with regard to prayer and see what it would look like. Um, Step one for the GTD method is capture. And this is where you would write down all the things that are on your mind, all the things that have your attention. Uh, So you might just sit for five minutes and just write down all the things that are on your mind and brainstorm prayer requests. Step two is to clarify Um, This might be uh, taking all the things from step one and writing out a full sentence prayer request, something that is really actionable. So if if you wrote down mom in step one, you might write down, mom needs prayer for peace and healing with her upcoming surgery. That might be step two. Uh, Step three is to organize. This is where you take all your prayer requests, you would put them into a system so you can actually keep going. Um, so you might uh, put your prayer requests on a piece of paper and stick them in your Bible so you can uh, read through them every time you open your Bible. Or you might use an app. You might put an app that has notifications so it can remind you to pray. That's where the rubber starts to meet the road, right? Building a system. Now we're really humming. Uh, step four is to reflect. This is where you're going to ask yourself some questions like, did God answer this prayer? Or uh, do I have too long of a list on Fridays? and I'm not getting to them all, Uh, those kinds of questions. And then step five is engage. Um, You can see it says simply do, right? Uh, You have the system, so it's kind of up to you now just to keep doing it. Um, And this might be a little harder than it sounds, but uh, the work has already kind of been done if if you've gone through steps one through four already. So now it just needs to get into a groove. Now, There's no doubt that the GTD method could help us in our prayer. It could make our prayer requests more organized. It could remind us to pray more more often. Um, It could even feel like our time with the Lord is like we actually know what we're doing. (laughs) Uh, It seems useful, right? But if you got all the way to step five, and even if you were able to maintain that system for the rest of your life, you would be missing one key ingredient to prayer, arguably the most important aspect of prayer. You'd be missing the Holy Spirit. Instead of thinking of prayer as a way to get things done, in this sermon I hope you'll come to find out that our prayer lives are entirely insufficient without the Holy Spirit Spirit working in and through our prayers. So let's uh, read the text of Scripture, which will guide us. Um, if you want to grab your Bibles from the pew in front of you, or if you brought your own, in the, in the pew Bibles, it's on page 550. I'll be reading Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We're going to keep the prayer trend going and pray one more time. God, now let us, your servants, uh, be edified by your word through my preaching, um, and would we all be uh, excited to pray in your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so today we're going to handle this sermon in two parts. Uh, the first is going to be the weakness of your prayer life, and the second will be the strength of the Spirit's prayer life. Um, and we're actually going to start with just defining what prayer even is. We're going to go to the Westminster Larger Catechism, which we've already looked at once today. Um, and as you know, the Westminster Larger Catechism, it's a question and answer document about our Reformed doctrine and practices. And this is what it says about prayer. Question 178, what is prayer? Answer, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of His Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. So those who wrote the Catechism recognized that prayer is fruitless without the help of His Spirit. So much so that they included it in the definition of prayer itself. Without the Spirit, there isn't prayer. This is part of the definition. Now, sometimes uh, a passage of the Bible will seem unrelated to your life, and the preacher will have to tell you why some passage of Scripture matters today. Um, but I don't think I really need to do that. Um, the Scriptures do that for me. In Romans 8.26, it says right off the bat, you don't know what to pray for as you ought. This leads us to consider point one, the weakness of your prayer life. Now, I need to tell you, that's what the Bible says. Uh, this is not me trying to call you out. Uh, this is not Paul trying to do that either. This is a broad statement, and it covers everyone. This is a really universal claim. Paul wrote in this same letter in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And that also includes all people. So when we read this statement, you don't know what to pray for, we can assume and recognize uh, that it's not saying some of you guys are bad at praying, and let me teach you some instructions. It's saying it's a universal truth that prayer is something you can't succeed in on your own. That's what it's saying. This is about a condition that we have, not about our poor performance. So your weakness in prayer requires that the Holy Spirit is going to have to help you. It's required that the Spirit helps you. And this means two things. First, it means that we approach and address God from a posture of helplessness. Right? If the Spirit helps us in our weakness, as we just said, then it's unavoidable that anything else could be the case. And it might sound obvious when you think about it, but if we could just go and fix the things that we're praying for in the first place, then we wouldn't need to pray about them. Right? If we had the power to do something about it, then we wouldn't need to pray. The point of prayer is to look to God for our help from the throne of heaven. 
We pray from a posture of helplessness so that things can get done, (laughs) right? Prayer in general assumes our helplessness and our need of God, particularly, in this case, the Holy Spirit. And that's not only in accomplishing the things that we pray for, but even for our specific prayer requests themselves. How do we even know what to pray for? The Spirit, as we'll find out, is going to help us with those things too. And now, that can sound a little bit disheartening, right? When we hear, you don't know what to pray for. It's like, oh, gosh. But I think we should actually maybe be encouraged to know this. Instead of leaving us in a state of helplessness, God ordained a tool for his believers to use in accomplishing these tasks that are too great for our strength, right? God gave us the gift of prayer knowing that we are helpless to fix things on our own. Ole Halsby, I love that name, Ole. Uh, he's a Norwegian pastor. Um, as far as I can see, prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. And I think now you might be able to see why this is good news. It's not for those who have power in themselves, right? It's not for those who have the strength to go and fix every problem. It's for those who are helpless that God created the gift of prayer. Secondly, uh, the weakness of our prayer life means that you might feel discouraged at times in your prayers. Now, uh, this might not apply to everyone here, but I would assume that a pretty large portion of us would say that they are not satisfied with their prayer life. Sometimes prayer feels like drudgery. It feels useless. You don't understand why it's something God commands. Maybe all of the above. Now, uh, there are some examples of encouragement that stem from a weak prayer life that I can, I can give to us that uh, you might resonate with some of these. Um, sometimes it may seem like your prayers are unanswered, right? It, uh, when you pray for something that you know to be good, we expect God to say yes to it, right? Would you heal me? We don't see the anticipated outcome we asked for, and then we become disheartened. If we don't see that our prayers are really changing anything, if anything's really uh, being affected by our prayers, we can easily give up on praying. But a different view of prayer would say that it could be that God knows better than we do what is needed. It could be that he wants us to learn patience or trust in him in a greater sense. Um, There could be several things that we aren't seeing or aware of. Or in the most literal sense, Uh, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, right? That's what the text is telling us. Only God knows what is best for us, right? The very next verse, Romans uh, 8.28, says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We might not understand why, but we can be sure that when God answers no to our prayer requests, that it is for our good. Another reason for discouragement is that prayer can feel awkward, especially if you're comparing yourself to others who maybe have really eloquent speech and sound more impressive than you do when you pray. I mean, this goes double when you're praying in public. 
Maybe you don't attend the Wednesday prayer meeting because you're scared about how you're going to sound when you pray. We can forget that our audience is not other people, but it's God alone. We need to cease thinking that uh, our audience is the other people in the room with us, right? It's even more awkward, I think, sometimes when there's non-believers around you, right? What are they going to think of me if they see me praying at my desk or at the lunch table or something like that? Are they going to see me and they think I'm crazy or they're going to stop associating with me if they see me praying? Well, in the first case, for those who uh, are worried about the eloquence of their prayers, we need to be reminded that we do not pray before man but before God, right? And I know that's obvious, but Jesus himself warns about, in Matthew 6, you might remember, about those who pray in order to be seen by others. Do you remember that in the Sermon on the Mount? So don't even aspire to that, right? You're not, your goal is not in order to be seen by others. Nobody else is going to judge you for the way that you pray. Or if they do, that's, that's kind of on them, right? If you aren't confident in praying in public, then do what Jesus says. It is okay to go and into a private room and pray. That's what he says in Matthew 6. That's totally cool. But if you do pray in public, Jesus condemns those who are trying to sound great before others. You, you can take the, the stress off of yourself in that case, right? He calls them hypocrites. Jesus is really eager to hear not your florid language, but he's eager to hear your honest prayers before him, your honest, deepest heart. From a helpless heart, in fact. A helpless heart of faith rather than in decorative language. Or if you're worried about what non-Christians think of you when you pray, then think about this. Um, if you even have a cursory knowledge of the Bible, you're probably going to conclude that prayer is at least an important aspect of the Christian religion, right? You'd have to you know, kind of almost be blind to not see that, yeah, it's normal for Christians to be praying. So... Everybody knows Christians should be praying. Don't you think it would be strange if a non-Christian never saw you praying? Wouldn't that be weird? Like, why would we assume that like, your, your non-Christian coworkers wouldn't look at you when they're praying and be like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they should be doing. They're, they claim to be a Christian, right? So truly, your prayers can be a witness to the people around you. Don't be afraid to be uh, condemned by them. It's kind of the opposite. The world needs to see us praying, even if it feels awkward. And a third attitude um, towards prayer that can be a little discouraging um, is that it's unproductive. Right? Prayer is okay, but we would rather be out getting the job done. You might be too busy to have a strong prayer life. Um, and I think this like, productive attitude, it can be a very Midwestern American kind of an attitude in general, right? I fall into this attitude quite frequently. Prayer kind of feels like a waste of time sometimes, um, especially when life is really busy or chaotic. And we need to be reminded that if you feel like your prayers are, are a waste of time, then, then this is the passage to wrestle with, isn't it? You are helpless. You are not God. You have tremendous weaknesses, you can't fix these situations by yourself, by your busyness, by your hard effort. Things are outside of your control, aren't they? So instead of trying to get more done, 
entrust your life and entrust your prayers to Almighty God. Or if you feel too busy to pray, I think we can be aided by the words of Martin Luther who says this. He says, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, Prayer creates a healthy boundary for us. When we pray, it's crucial to notice that we are finite. Human beings overall, even if we tallied them all up, we're not going to be able to accomplish everything that we want to see in terms of uh, kingdom advancement. There's too much to do, too much outside of our control, and we are forced to trust in our Creator. So if you are too busy to pray, then believe it or not, you might be the exact person who would most benefit from the practice and habit of regular prayer. God wants your trust more than your busyness. And those are just three of the common ways. There's probably a long list more of ways in which we feel our weakness in prayer. But whatever way our weakness comes to manifest itself in our lives, we are all in need of one thing to help us to pray, the Holy Spirit. Your prayer life will never flourish, no matter how determined your resolve is, um, unless he guides your prayer life. But what does the Spirit actually do in our prayer lives? I think that's the next question. How does he help us in our weakness? What does that mean? And if you're asking some of those questions, then that's really good. It means you're not looking for just quick fixes in your prayer life. You're not looking for life hacks or productivity manuals like GTD. But you really want to have a spirit-filled prayer life, right? And we'll seek to answer that in point two. But before we move on to point two, I want us all to remember that the Holy Spirit only enters hearts when we put our faith in Jesus, right? Um, You can't have a spirit-filled prayer life without also having placed your trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus. Because it's Jesus who raises us to new life, who causes the Spirit to enter into our hearts in the first place. And so without Jesus, our prayer lives would be about the same as the GTD prayer method without the Holy Spirit, right? We need Jesus in order to have the Spirit. And we need the Spirit to have effective prayer. Um, And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and and you feel ready to do that, that's amazing. That's great. Um, There will be some people uh, praying up here near the stage at the end of the service. They'd be really great people to maybe help you learn how to pray and pray to Jesus maybe for the first time and put your trust in him. Okay, so if you have Jesus, then the question is before us. This is point two now. What does the Spirit do in our prayer lives? And I I like this question because it means that the focus is no longer on what we are doing, but it's instead on the operation of the Holy Spirit in prayer, which is actually the focus of our text. So, after Paul, the author of Romans, clues us into our weakness in prayer, he shows us exactly what the, uh, the Spirit is doing. He says, The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It says that in verse 26, if you still have your Bible open. Now that deserves some attention, right? Those are some, uh, some interesting words that you don't see often in the Bible. Um, the word intercede basically means that the Spirit is petitioning for us, right? He's praying on our behalf before God. And he's doing that in a simultaneous way with us. 
So whenever we pray, the Spirit also prays with us and for us, just like a piano accompanist plays alongside a violinist. So there's a cooperation happening for our benefit. And the more you pray, the more the Spirit prays for you. But then the other part um, is the groanings that are too deep for words. Um, So the Spirit uses speech that the Bible calls groanings. Isn't that fascinating? Um, These groanings are deeper than even words can contain. And all of this is for us and for our benefit because we don't know what to pray for. This is one of those sentences that you're just like, what? Wow. Like I had no idea this is what went on when I was praying. Just take a second and marvel at the Holy Spirit and what he's doing whenever we pray. He's been groaning during this worship service, right? We didn't even know it, but he's been doing that whenever we've prayed during this service. And then that's been heard by the Father's ears. Doug Moo, a New Testament commentator, uh, says it like this. He says, groanings are the Spirit's own language of prayer, a ministry of intercession that takes place in our hearts in a manner imperceptible to us. <laughs> I mean, what? Like, that's fantastic. That's great news. You know, this, this, this verse, these two verses kind of peel back some layers in a spiritual dimension, and they allow us to look and see prayer in a totally new dimension. You thought that when you prayed, it was, it was just you and God, right? <laughs> you speaking, God listening. But it is so much more than that. There's an imperceptible, deep prayer language being spoken in your heart. Right? That, that's amazing. There's a British pastor named P.T. Forsyth who, who said it this way. Uh, he said, When we speak to God... It is really the God who lives in us, speaking through us to himself. His spirit returns to him who gave it and returns not void, but bearing our souls with him. What this means is that that there is inter-Trinitarian prayer going on in your very heart whenever you pray. Your prayers are the arena for God to speak through you to himself concerning the things that you need most. And the reason that you pray is so that God can hear the Spirit speaking to him the things that you request. And in verse 27 it says, He who searches our hearts, and that means God, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God is searching through our hearts, which I don't think that's as much of a surprise for us. We've kind of known that in a broader biblical way. We know that he knows us fully and deeply. He knows us with a type of knowledge that is comprehensive. You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves, right? Um, But he also knows the Spirit comprehensively also. So God is plunging the depths of two different prayers here, like prayers, Um, God has full knowledge of your heart, and he has full knowledge of the Spirit's mind as well. And that's what the first half of verse 27 is saying. So, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the depth of the Spirit's prayer life includes the fact that everything he prays is in line with the eternal will of God. 
it's good to know that the Spirit is praying with and through our prayers because that means that in a sense our prayers include all of the things that God is ordaining for the sake of His glory and for our good. But can these things contradict? Can our prayers and the Spirit's prayers be against one another? That's a little bit tricky, right? What if you're praying for something that isn't the will of God? Can your prayers and the Spirit's prayers cancel each other out? Um, God, I pray that you will become a genie and grant me all the things that I want, right? It, it, it makes you a little bit nervous to think that you might be praying that way. Well, in a certain sense, let's say this. God listens to his own will, right? Um, not to your will. He wants to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven and not just give you everything that you want. Otherwise, you'd start enjoying this earth more than you'd enjoy his kingdom, right? So if you pray something that is in contradiction to his will, then yes, I think we can say that the Spirit's prayer will overrule yours. But that's not for your harm, right? That's for your good. It's God's kindness to withhold from us things, uh, certain things when he's the one who works all things together for our good. He knows better what defines the good than we do. It's the Spirit's prayer request that we want to be heard, right? We want God to listen to the Holy Spirit more than us, I would hope. But remember that it is the Spirit who helps us in our weakness at the same time. So if our weakness means that we don't know what to pray for as we ought, then you know, if the Spirit's helping, He's also going to be teaching us what to pray for. He's going to be teaching us what accords with the will of God. We can take a look at the larger catechism one more time, and, and it uh, kind of contains. I just want to say, the larger catechism answers so many really good questions. If you haven't looked at the whole thing yourself, take some time and just read through the whole thing. It'll take you a few days for sure, but um, good questions. <laughs> How doth the Spirit help us to pray? Yes, it's in Old English, I'll also say. Um, but uh, we, not knowing what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit, the Spirit helpeth us in our infirmities by enabling us to understand both for whom and what and how prayer is to be made and by working and quickening in our hearts, although not in all persons nor at all times in the same measure, those apprehensions, affections, and graces which are requisite for the right performance of that duty. So you can see that the, the first uh, sentence up there is kind of mimicking our biblical text today. Um, let me just do a quick paraphrase. Um, how does the Spirit help us in our praying? By enabling us to understand for whom, for what, and how to pray. And by working in our hearts all the things that we need to pray rightly. So, I think for, for a lot of us, we might have entered in thinking this is a good diagram that you know, displays what prayer looks like. Your prayers go up to God and he hears us, right? But what this passage is saying, you know, again, if we peel back the layers, this is more what's going on in prayer. Now, okay, 
I just got to say, don't condemn me of heresy. I just became a pastor like two months ago. That, that like circle is to try to say that's all God. Like the spirit and God are not distinct. Clip art has its like limitations. But um, you can see that like the spirit knows the mind and the will of God and God knows the mind and the will of the spirit. God searches our hearts. And that should say you. I think the arrow kind of overshadowed it. Um, we do pray to God, but the spirit also intercedes and groans to God. And at the same time, the Spirit is also teaching and growing us in our prayer. Like, what a picture of prayer that is. That makes me want to pray. <laughs> the point is that the Holy Spirit prays with you, and he prays for you, and he teaches you to pray inside of your heart through the prayers themselves. The strength of the Spirit's prayer life becomes the strength of your prayer life. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. God, we pray to you in the Spirit. We know that in our hearts right now, the Spirit is speaking to you. He's interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. And though we can't really hear it, God, we know um, that you love to hear our voices and the Spirit's voice in prayer. Um, God, we lift up to you all of our concerns and we, uh, we put our trust in you knowing that we don't have the strength or the ability to affect the things that we pray for in ourselves um, and that it requires a God of infinite strength, of a powerful will, and of goodness to bring about all the things that we know are working together for the good of those who love you. Um, God, we do put our faith in Jesus, um, knowing that it is through him that we have received the Holy Spirit, um, and we trust in him, we trust in you um, to edify us in our prayers as we depart from here in our everyday lives. We pray this all in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.